how useful would it be to sit down with someone who has a successful business career and is prepared to share their experiences with you, both good and bad, so that you may benefit from their wisdom and mentorship? Well, now you can via the medium of the podcast. Welcome to Half Hour Mentor. My name is Ian Cleverdon, and welcome to the first episode of a brand new podcast series in which I talk to notable figures from a variety of different businesses and backgrounds with a view to supporting you in your personal and professional development. Each interview will last round about half an hour or so, and I'll explore with each of the guests the path they took to get to where they are now, what challenges they faced along the way and how they've handled them, and what advice they give their younger self knowing what they'd know now. You can get this and future episodes on all major streaming platforms, so be sure to click on the follow or subscribe button and make sure you don't miss out on hearing from my future guests. Please also rate and review the pods as it will really help me understand how much you gain from them and do spread the word to your friends and colleagues if you're enjoying them. My thanks go to Manchester Metropolitan University Business School for sponsoring this first series and allowing the episodes to be ad-free. You can learn about their courses and offerings by following the link in the show notes. My first guest is Tim Williams, Chief Executive of Oxford United Football Club and a visiting professor of Manchester Metropolitan University Business School. Since graduating from ManMet, he has forged a hugely successful career in finance, initially with KPMG and McCann Ericsson, and then moving on to executive roles with Manchester United, Inter Milan and Tifosi Capital and Advisory. In the interview, he shared with us how he's dealt with the move across various organisations and some of the challenges that he's faced during his high-profile career. I'm really grateful to him for sparing the time to share his experiences for your benefit. So let's hear from Tim himself. I started by asking him what career he wanted to pursue when he was in his teenage years. I've always said this, I, I grew up in a fairly aspirational working class family. Uh, my, none, of, none of my parents went to university, they left school uh, 16, 15, 16. Um, but I think for me, and actually for my dad, it was very important that I get a profession. I think he saw me as somebody who, and I think the school I went to is a very basic, comprehensive school in West Yorkshire, so really nothing special at all. Um, and I think academically, I was reasonably okay. I wouldn't say gifted, but I was pretty talented and worked hard. And I think in his mind, it was always, you know, get a profession, son. I had an uncle actually, who was the managing director of a local carpet manufacturer. Um, and he drove a Jag and I was all, I always loved, I always loved my uncle's Jag. Um, and he started off as an accountant. And I think for me, it was either going to be medicine, law or accountancy and, and accountancy won over. Um, pretty numerate, although not excessively so. Um, and it was just that decision and that drove my decisions right from being 16 when I got what was then O-levels, now GCSEs. That cho- drove my choice of A-levels and actually drove the choice of degree subject that I ended up doing, which was accounting and finance at Manchester Metropolitan University. Right. So... Tell us about your time at university then. So you did accounting and finance with a view to think, okay, perhaps accounting, which we said is quite a wide field anyway, and can be. What about the time you were at university then? What did you do to try and develop the career aspect of what you wanted to do? Genuinely, very little. <laughs> <laughs> what I did at university was, was grow as a person. You know, I was a, I was a kid from a little village comprehensive school in West Yorkshire and I came up to this enormous city of Manchester 
And it was at the time of Manchester as well. No, absolutely. Uh, You know, it was Happy Monday. Manchester was the the place to go, and so I worked diligently, steadily, but had a really good time. You know, I it's an amazing city. You know, I still have my family home. You know, not too not too many miles away from the centre of Manchester. Um, You know, I met my wife here, and my you know my centre of of kind of gravity is is around Manchester and and always will be so as a city it was fantastic I think you know Man Met was I think it was a perfect place to go for a comprehensively educated kid from a small village you know we talk here you know we talk now at the university about first generation and I was a first generation student you know 33 years ago and it was the perfect place to be a first generation student then and I think it's the perfect place to be a third first generation student now because I was with people from my community as it were people who I identified with people who I recognized with and you know I've, I've built up so many close friendship networks there and never felt out of place and I think that was a really important thing about being at the university and what it provided me at that time was a feeling of of belonging in a city which was so different from anywhere I'd ever been or lived before. So you got your degree in accounting and finance. What was your first role and how did you get it? My first role was a trainee chartered accountant with KPMG. And I actually got that role in what was, and again, I don't know whether they have this anymore, what was known as the milk round. Although the milk round for KPMG didn't come to Manchester Met. And so I, I got a book um, probably in my, at the start of my third year. And it was a book produced by KPMG Pete Marwick McClintock, as was then called Accountancy Explained. And it went through all the different types of jobs you could do. It went through all the routes into accountancy, whether it's chartered, management, certified, public finance. It, it gave a very, very neat, well-written summary of how to become an accountant. And so my first foray into this was filling in and handwriting application forms to probably what was then, I think, the top six accountancy firms in the country. Um, I had interviews with, I think, three or four of them. Uh, I think... One of them kind of dismissed me out of hand immediately because I was probably from the wrong university or didn't have the best A-levels in the world. Um, and, and KPMG invited me for interview. And it was a very simple process. You know, it was a one-on-one interview with an audit manager. Um, I was invited back for second interview. And again, a very simple process, an interview with an audit partner. And two weeks later, a job offer came through. Right. And, you know, that, I think it's probably only now, you know, 30 years on, when I see how competitive roles are with the big four, how hard won that job was. I don't want to go on about this too much, but there was that element of, you know, people like me didn't end up working for KPMG. You know, I was the only... You know, com- I was one of the very few comprehensively educated, non-Russell Group Oxbridge students who went to work for KPMG. Even in even this was even in Leeds office, never mind London office. Right. Um, 
and it was a it was a really proud day and I've, it was a proud day for my folks as well mm. you know that that they saw the culmination of you know a good few years of hard work and a few knockbacks you know i didn't get the best a levels in the world mm -hmm. certainly not you know my a levels now wouldn't get me close to kpmg right. not even close but i'd like to think that this is a lesson for professional firms throughout which is Somebody, whatever it was, somebody at KPMG, uh, the first interview, second interview, a bit of both, saw something in me that they thought was potential. And, and I've always got, I'd always like to thank those two people who, who, you know, I guess took that chance on me, really. Yeah. Because everybody needs somebody to take a chance on them at some point in their lives. How long were you at KPMG for? So I had, I had two stints at KPMG. I was there in Leeds office for probably three and a half years. Um, again, amazing training, incredible support, um, incredibly hardworking, um, particularly the exams, which, you know, as any, anybody listening to this who has been through the chartered accountancy exams know is the pretty brutal. Mixing doing probably the equivalent of an entire degree whilst also working. Yes. In half the time is and still is as well. It's yeah. it's, it's really hard, yeah. and you know I can remember many a frustrated evening throwing pens and paper all <laughs> over my study while I was trying to study, feeling that it was never gonna never gonna click and never gonna happen. But the support was incredible. You know the support in terms of time off for study, in terms of that support was was again something that you only realise in hindsight is is incredible. Um, but I think like a lot of ambitious, impetuous, mix of both, you know, young accountants, uh, I got to probably six months after qualification and thought there's a whole wide world out there and, and went a looking just to see, you know, see what was out there, see what other jobs I could do in industry. Um, and Why? Because... KPMG was a big trophy for you, really, for your parents. Sounded like they treated you really well. So why, why look elsewhere? I would say probably, I've, I said earlier about being a little impetuous and impetuousness mixed with ambition can be not always great. And I look back now and think I wish I'd have stayed a bit longer. I wish I'd have done another two or three years in Leeds office. I think it would have prepared me better for the world of work. I think it would have made me a more mature professional. I think I would have... The problem is I think you, when you qualify, you think you know it all. At the time, I didn't have quite enough of a mentor there to say, slow down. Just think a bit harder about what you're doing. Is this what you really want? This is a real lesson because I think what I would encourage anybody to do if they are in that position, age, you know, 24, 25, you've done your first three years at whichever firm you're with or whichever company you're with, is to actually be really honest with whoever your boss is, your line manager, your partner, whatever, to say, I'm thinking about this, but what do you think? Because I think one of the lessons I learned over the years was that had I done that at KPMG, both in Leeds and then in Manchester, I think somebody would have said, is there anything we can do? But I think if you are honest enough with the person who you are talking to 
and honest enough with yourself and transparent enough to say, look, I'm thinking about moving on. What do you think I should do? Now, it may be that they turn around and say, you know what? I think it would be good for you to move on. I think with me, had I done that, they would have said, maybe just give it a couple of years and see how you get on. And I do wish I'd done that. I went to work for a very, very large multinational um, after my first three and a half years at KPMG. Very large business. And again, huge pride to be recruited there. Um, But it wasn't for me. It was quite faceless. I didn't feel I was particularly looked after. And again, it's a lot, hindsight's a great thing. It was only when I realized what it's like in the hard world of business, you realize how looked after you are in the firms. Was so this in the accountancy field similarly, the, the finance role? Yeah, 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 it was a finance role I went into. Yeah. Um, but you're kind of just left to it. And there's an assumption that you, you are suddenly this oven-ready candidate that's going into this job at a very, very large business. And you're not oven-ready. You've got a lot to learn. But, you know, you're 25. (laughs) And, you know, if I was now sitting down with a 25-year-old in front of me, it doesn't matter how well-qualified they were, you know, first-time passers, MBA, whatever, at 25, you are not oven-ready for a career. And it's important that there is somebody there who can pull you through. And I didn't have that at this business. It was just, yeah, you're kind of left to it. I was like, well, this isn't really quite what I bought into. And so fortunately I was able to go back to KPMG, but I'd shifted back to the Manchester office then. Uh, And I was another two years at the KPMG's Manchester office before then moving to another firm, which was again, probably a mistake. I, you know, honestly, Ian, I've made more mistakes in the run-up to being 30 than I care to admit. <laughs> and I think that's down to a bit of a lack of patience, a little bit too, ma- too much ambition, and, yeah, a lot of impetuousness. What have you learnt from that that now you think is absolutely golden, that you as just, you know, we'll, we'll talk about you, you know, more recent roles shortly. But and all the other mistakes I've made yeah. since. <laughs> <laughs> But we all do, don't um, we? But there'll be quite a lot of our listeners now who are going, that's me, I'm in this rut of a job, I've been in it two or three years, what do I do to try and move on? How do I deal with it all? You've already talked about speaking to your boss and so on, but you know, you've, you've learned a lot mm. from quite a number of different organisations that you work for and some big organisations. What has that taught you with what you practice now? Do you know, it's, it's a really good question. and. You know, it's taught me lessons that I have learned and it's taught me lessons that I haven't learned. Um, I think the first lesson I would say to anybody is if you're having a really bad day, even a really bad week, that's the last time to pick up the phone to a recruitment consultant. And I mean that with the greatest respect to the recruitment industry. But if you're just struggling, talk to friends, your loved ones, family, whoever, a mentor, somebody and say, I'm struggling. No strong business and no strong business leader wants their people to struggle. And, and if they see that happening and know about it, then there's something that can be done. And it may be that thing is moving on, but it may be that there's an alternative. So I've, I've learned to slow down. I've learned to not be impatient and not actually not sulk when things are going bad because 
life does that to you. Not everything goes swimmingly well. You're going to have some rotten times. And it's, it's thinking a bit more long term. I think the other thing I've learned is, is the value of, of good leadership and good mentoring. And I don't mean that in terms of delivering it, but I mean that in terms of receiving it. The best people I've worked for, and there are genuinely in all the jobs I've had, probably only three or four, but the best people I've worked for are always people who have understood me, have listened to me, but have always given me encouragement and given me belief. Given me belief to do things that I never thought I would be capable of doing. Or displayed characteristics that you see and you want in yourself. And I'll give you an example. And we'll talk about sort of one of the, the first kind of really great roles that I had, I think, in a bit. But uh, the CFO of a business I joined in the mid-2000s, incredibly encouraging, not in any way critical of mistakes, very calm under pressure, but more importantly, incredibly tenacious. And it used to frustrate the hell out of me when I used to listen to this guy, and I won't name him, but listen to this guy on the phone or dealing with something. He would just never give up. If he knew something was wrong, or he didn't just quite get it, he would push and push and push. And he'd do that with me. If he knew that there was a number in the numbers that wasn't right, or if he knew an explanation didn't quite make sense, he would just challenge and challenge and challenge. And I learned a huge amount from that because that actually makes the job really interesting. If you can just see something through to a conclusion rather than giving up halfway through and think, oh, it'll be fine. He taught me that if it looks wrong, it will be wrong. So follow your instincts. And that's actually how you get an awful lot out of job satisfaction as well. You know, it's a really important lesson to, to just put those, that extra little bit of effort in. Because a lot don't. A lot happy just to churn out something which is all right. This guy taught me how to churn out something which was really good. And that's something that I've learned a lot, which is to be tenacious. To not, not give up when something immediately looks hard. Let's move on then. So past 30 and so on, and you talked about that, that, those, those times briefly. What did you move on to and, and why? So once I'd reached 30, I decided it was time to take some time out, kind of. Um, so I moved to a role in the Middle East for a year, um, which was, I suppose, what I would call a bit of out-of-box experience. Uh, so my wife and I sort of shipped out to the hottest part of the world and you know, went there for a year and, and I wouldn't say I loved it, but what it did was it, it really allowed me to think about what I really want to do. And what I really wanted to do was get back on an even keel. I'd made a lot of, I'd jumped around a lot in my thirties and it was time to slow down and it was time to start seriously thinking about my career. You know, I was 30. I had friends of mine who had already got established in careers and I was kind of still, you know, meandering a little bit. So it was a chance for me to really just think. And so when we came back to the UK, I actually wanted to get what I would call serious corporate experience. And so I joined the internal audit department of United Utilities, FTSE 100, the only FTSE 100 in the northwest of England. It may still be, I'm not sure, but this is going back 20 odd years. 
uh, and joined the group corporate centre there, which which was an absolutely brilliant grounding in how to run a PLC. And, and that was something I really knew I needed. It was something missing, and I needed that serious... Yeah, United Utilities, for me personally, wasn't the most exciting business in the world. Hugely important, but it was brilliant corporate experience working for you know working for the ceo and the cfo of a FTSE 100 business you know you feed off people like that you want to learn and be and do what they've done and learned you know you want to kind of follow and, and you know get on their coattails and for you know four and a half years at uu was was amazing experience actually gave me my first job as a financial controller which was in one of their subsidiaries which again is a is a baptism of fire you know, first line manager role in a subsidiary of a FTSE 100 PLC is, it's not an easy role to do, um, but you learn an enormous amount. And that for four and a half years I was at United Utilities, I learned such a lot about how to be a finance professional. And that was so important for me because it then calmed me it stabilized me a little bit and set me off on a path which you know is kind of pretty much where I am now. I then decided it was time to put that to use and actually then go to a business that I really wanted to go to and work for and and I'd had this crazy idea when I was much younger that there were four types of business I want to work for. There was an advertising agency, a football club, the BBC and an airline and so I saw a job in the Financial Times one day for a UK controller for McCann Erickson, which is down on Bonnis Hall Lane in leafy suburbs of Cheshire, um, and knew that that was the job I had to have. I thought, you know, how cool is it going to be working in an advertising agency? And it was every bit as cool as you might think it was. <laughs> People used to say to me, what's it like working for an agency? It's, like, it's brilliant. I mean, and that sounds really trite. What was great about the ad agency was suddenly I found myself surrounded by people who were creative, who were volatile, who were enthusiastic. You know, you saw the results of what we did on the TV or in the press. It was such a vibrant, exciting atmosphere. McCann's for me is a really special place uh, and remains a very, very special place because it's where I found my feet with my career, to be honest. You know, mid-30s. I'd been, you know, meandering a little bit. I'd got the sort of four, five years of heavy experience at UU, but I really found my wings at McCann's. What, you said found your feet and found your wings. What exactly was it that gave you that stabilisation, if you like, in your career? What was it with McCann and It was Eric's? enjoying what I did. It was really, and not only enjoying what I did day to day, but it, enjoying the people I worked with and enjoying the business that I was working for. And that for me was a massive light bulb moment. It was, yeah, I can do a decent job in a business that I'm kind of, you know, ambivalent about. But if I get into a business that I really, really care and want to understand more, then you're going to be at your optimum. Then you are going to absolutely go for it because suddenly, Everything you do is interesting. 
you kind of don't feel like you do a hard day's work in your life because you don't mind. You want to learn more about the business that you're in. And that's, that's you know, I'm, a, I'm an avid learner. You know, I, I'm terrible for, you know, constantly stopping what I'm doing to research something. Or if I hear something on TV, I'll be like, oh, I want to know more about that. And so I, I, I operate at my optimum when I'm continually learning. And so to learn about the ad industry, to learn about, you know, how it worked and to be part of it, it was, it was you know, so energizing. And energy is a great word, actually, yeah. because, you know, we've all worked in those places where, you know, there's that one person who comes in the room and just sucks all the energy out of it. And then it's just dreadful. And what I found at McCann's is that you just didn't get people like that. There were, you know, there was, there was just energy about the place. And, you know, and that's a really powerful thing. Yeah. And it's very, very empowering. And it really pushes you. Tell us a little bit about what you've done since then. Because sure. you, you, moved on, you moved on to football, yeah. didn't you? Yeah, you know, yeah. The finance side in football. How, and did, I how think did that come about? That, so I, this was late 2008, early 2009. And I knew that the guy I worked for at McCann's was really, really good at what he did. And I thought, he's not going to be going anywhere soon. So if I want to grow both in terms of position and, let's face it, in terms of money, you know, it's probably going to be time to think about my next move. And there's actually no better time sometimes to think about your next move than when you're really happy where you are. Going back to what I said earlier, the worst thing you can do is pick up the phone to an agency when you're really unhappy. But actually, to think about moving on when you're really happy, it does two things. It makes you think very clearly about what you want to do and what you enjoy doing. But actually, it means you have got great energy when you're being interviewed for your next role. Great point. And it also, <laughs> you can play hard to get a little bit because you can say, hey, I'm, I'm in no hurry to move. I'm really happy where I am. So it's got to be good. And my next role was good. Um, it was Manchester United. And I joined there back in 2009. They'd created a new role as group financial controller. I interviewed for it thinking, you know what, they're going to choose somebody who's got football experience. And, you know, that's not a chance. And, and again, I think... I remember after my first interview, going back to the agency saying, look, you've just got to do whatever it takes to get me that job. You know, I really loved what I saw. I liked the people. And it got even better when I went for my second interview. You know, what an environment to be in. You know, at the time, United, you know, the biggest club in the world, the most important club in the world. Is that around and about the time that Sir Alex retired? Was it no, it was before Sir Alex retired. He retired in 2013. So we got those amazing last few years of Sir Alex. Um, and it was the best run club in the world, run by the best football chief exec in the world. And so we had it all. And it was a wonderful time to be there. And again, we talk about learning. You know, I was learning a completely new industry. You know, and, and you know, the people I was working for, you know, sat me down within days to say this is how the football industry works this is what happens this is how a transfer works this is you know and there was care about the people who were actually there you know there was a desire to grow people 
And that filtered down through to me. You know, there were people who worked for me who, it was a real, you know, it was, it, I was proud to, you know, to bring on and to grow and to promote. You know, that was a fantastic thing for me to do. Um, and so I was five, five and a half years at Man United was, you know, we went through the really great years mm. and then we went through some tough years. Mm. You know, after 2013, when, when David Gill and Sir Alex stepped down, it was, it was a very different environment. Um, but challenging in the right way. You know, there were different challenges to think about, about, you know, a football club that, you know, did finish below the Champions League places in 2014. And so that was a that was an interesting but very challenging time to be there. But you know what's great about working in football and football clubs is there is always that sense of family, that sense of we're all in this. You know, you know football clubs play, or Premier League clubs at least play at home 19 times a year. You know they have 19 times a year to get it right. That's all. Yeah. You know it's not like we're a retailer where we're opening the shop every day. That's right, or, and particularly with the money that's involved absolutely. in the, 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 you know, to say the trophy, but oh, the trophy is, is finance these days, yeah, yeah. isn't it? It's, it's, you know, and so getting through those next stages of the Champions League are amazing. Getting knocked out of the Champions League is absolutely crushing. Mm. But that's when brain kicks in and you think, right, what do we have to do now? Yeah. Where do we go now? How do we bring ourselves back? You know, the great thing about football is there's always another season. Yeah. You know, it's, it's never over. You know, everybody starts that season with zero points. And so you're all at the same level and you've got to go back and back and back and build it again. Mm. And it's an it's incredible business to be in. Soon after that, you moved on to Inter Milan. I, think. I so did. Tell us a little bit, how did that journey come about? So I worked for a guy at Manchester United who, again, I mentioned earlier about two or three really great leaders that I've worked for. And this guy is, is, is one of them. He was uh, very, very senior at Manchester United and then went on to be chief exec at Inter Milan. Um, he and I, some time later, had a conversation and he said, look, I'm you know, looking to put some financial firepower into Inter Milan Football Club. Would you be interested in going through a process and you know, speaking to the recruiter? I want somebody really good and I want somebody I can trust. And so... Six months later, I was uh, on a flight to Milan, and and th yeah, that was and that was an just that was crazy. I mean, the most challenged I think I've ever been in my career. Um, you know, we we picked up a world-renowned football club who had probably fallen. Yeah, I think absolutely fallen on hard times. weren't you know were languishing in the top 10 of the league but weren't making Champions League, had financial problems um, and we needed a complete turnaround job on that club and, and you know, we did it. We, you know, we had a team of people who you know, joined around a similar time and we were invested in that business. We felt like it was our business and um, you know, the effort and hard work we put into that but again it was learning. It was just enjoyment. It was, you know, it was just being there, being part of of growing something so so amazing as you know one of the biggest football clubs in the world, and getting it back to where it should be, which is competing in the Champions League, winning trophies, and you know to be part of a group of people all pushing in the same direction and grabbing it you know, by the haunches and, and pulling it 
was just a fantastic place to be. You know, we treated that like it was our own business. Mm. It was like we'd invested our own, you know, multi-million dollars into it. Yeah. You know, we worked tirelessly to get that club to where it actually probably is today. Well, Tim, thanks very much for sharing that with us. You know, your insight into from starting off, going all the way through to, to what you've done and the, the, the journey on the way about learning and, you know, the continuous learning bit has, has stood out there. I've got one final question for you. So knowing what you know now and what you've been through, let's go back to your 18-year-old self, let's say, when you started university. What advice would you give yourself knowing what you know now? It's a really good question, and it's actually not a question I've really asked myself um, too often, although now being a much more, uh, hopefully, integral part of the university, it's certainly something that I'm kind of keen to talk to some of the students about. And I think for me... The one lesson or the one thing I would tell myself is, is just be patient. Don't lose your ambition, but be patient and use the people around you. Speak to them and be honest with the people around you. I've said this before, don't quit when you're having a bad day. Quit when you're having a good day. And it's a really important lesson because if you're down, if, you, if you're struggling, whatever it is you're struggling with, then the most important thing is to tell somebody, is to talk to somebody in, you know, your line manager, their line manager, HR, whatever. The one thing I've found over the years is that organizations are very supportive of their staff, probably even more so nowadays than they were even 30 years ago. There is a real duty of care to people. Nobody wants to see an unhappy employee go. Nobody wants to see an unhappy member of the team leave to go somewhere else because that, A, isn't good for the organisation, it's not good for the individual and it's not actually good for the place that they're going to. So it's really important that you make those decisions with a clear head. And yeah, for me, it's, it's patience. I think the final thing I would say, though, and this is certainly from my personal perspective, is just enjoy what you do. Find something that you enjoy doing, find people you enjoy working with, find a leader that you can learn from, but find a leader who will pull you along as well and get you on that journey with them. Because there is nothing more empowering and there's nothing more energizing than feeling that somebody's got your back, that somebody wants you to succeed. It's the most powerful feeling you can ever have in your career. Thanks ever so much for spending the time with us today and sharing all of your experiences with us. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. You know, two things really stood out to me in that interview. The firstly, his point about not thinking of moving to a fresh role when you're having a bad day. You know, if you need to do it, do it when you're at the top of your game. Secondly, make sure that you do talk to someone if you are having that bad time. Don't rule out speaking to your line manager, though, because the vast majority of managers and leaders would want to know if their team members are struggling or, you know, they need some help. I also really like the point that early career professionals are not oven ready for a career. It really does take time to develop. It's a great lesson for everyone forging a career, including managers and leaders, to be fair. Thanks to Tim for his time and advice, and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to follow and subscribe to the series to be notified of future episodes. Bye for now.